all in all, it's a good time to be looking into options to come to Australia, especially for those that will be eligible for the um, the new working holiday visas, because there is this approach um, from the current government um, that will allow them will allow anyone in the country on a temporary visa to stay uh, long term. Welcome to the Down Under Diaries, a podcast for the keen traveller or mover. Joined by me, Rosa, a teeny tiny Brit living here in Melbourne. Together on this podcast, we will chat about what life is like abroad, past challenges I faced and how you can overcome them, but also present struggles I'm currently dealing with and what we can do together to feel safe and excited about our journeys ahead. Like a diary, opportunities and difficulties unfold for me on a daily basis. So join me in figuring them out. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. It feels like it's been forever since the previous episode when really it's only been two weeks but it feels like a while and thank you so much for bearing with me after last weekend. It was a pretty wild one. I have just started DJing. Yeah, last weekend was my first ever professional gig in front of people in a bar and it was exhilarating. It was incredible but if you kind of put this into perspective of what my life looks like right now. It is nothing but absolute chaos. As a spin instructor, podcaster and DJ, there are so many red flags in those lists. Oh my goodness. You could just say that I don't really know what my schedule is. I don't really know what my routine is right now, but I am living life to the max. Honestly, if there are things out there that you really want to achieve, don't waste time. Learn how to do it. Just try it and see where it gets you because I've now done a few gigs in the space of a week, in a space of a week. Nothing is impossible in this world. You can do whatever the hell you want. Today's episode is one of the most important, if not the most important thing that I have ever recorded for this podcast in its entirety. This will affect your decision on whether you come to Australia or not. This will also affect my existence on whether I stay in Australia as well. And it's so important that if there is any episode of this entire thing that you feel as if you need to listen, this is the one for you. This is the most important one because I will be breaking down alongside a few other guests the new information that is coming out about the working holiday 417 visa. If you were here last season, you'll know that I did an episode all about this visa and most importantly about the specified work requirements that as Brits and other internationals, we need to do to be able to apply for subsequent 417 visas in the second year and the third year. Well, good, good, very, very, very good news is coming up for you because changes have been made and the farm work is no longer. Oh, it's gonna be good. So let's get right into this episode. Okay, so what is this podcast episode all about? Well, if you're aware of the visas that are available for a Brit to come over to this country, the most common one that you would choose is the Working Holiday 417 visa. This one, you are allowed to stay in the country up to three years, but at the moment, every year that you want to apply, you have to do three months of specified work. This can be hospitality work, this could be farm work, labor intensive work, but as soon as you've done those three months, 
students, you can then apply for a second year of being in Australia. And you can be here for up to three years, which is incredible for us. However, there have been some recent changes that are now going to be introduced within the next 12 months. And I'm recording this July 2023. So this time next year, it's going to be a very different environment for Brits wanting to come over. In today's episode, I'm joined by three different guests. I have Zephy and Ali. They are, I'll let them explain who they are. My name's Ali. I'm a paralegal with Ethos Migration Lawyers. I'm joined by Zephy today. She is an Australian immigration lawyer and partner at Ethos Migration Lawyers. So Ethos Migration Lawyers, we're a boutique law firm uh, in Melbourne, Australia, which specialises in Australian immigration law. We work both in corporate immigration and also with individuals on their personal immigration matters, encompassing a wide variety of visa programs available in Australia. Um, That is what our firm specialises in. So we uh, can give in-depth, I guess, knowledge and advice to individuals who are seeking immigration advice in Australia. The Australian immigration field is quite vast and uh, complicated uh, area of law. So it can, uh, sometimes individuals do need assistance kind of navigating their way through that field. And that's definitely, that's what we do. And that's what we can help with. Australia has one of the most complex immigration um, and visa systems in the world, which is why um, we do find that individuals coming from other countries require assistance to not only um, make sure that they're providing, you know, correct information as part of their applications and uh, eventually being granted a visa, but also because there are uh, the changes that um, we see on a nearly day-to-day basis with Australian immigration laws um, mean that effectively we need to um, be able to advise clients um, on those changes and also how their particular circumstances uh, may affect uh, certain options that uh, they may or may not be eligible for. Also joining me in today's episode is Associate Professor of Tourism and Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Vacation Marketing, Professor Gabby Walters from the University of Queensland. We had a long conversation about the positive effects that the visa changes will create, but also the levels of tourism and work availabilities that we might see in the next coming years and whether this will be positive or negative. So what are the expected changes that we're going to see on the Working Holiday 417 visa this month and next year, July 2024? The changes that have been introduced in relation to the Working Holiday subclass 417 visa are part of the um, Australia-United Kingdom free trade arrangement or agreement. I'll call it the agreement from now on. Um, This agreement has been um, uh, discussed and we heard about it many years ago. It's just taken a very long time for them to actually, um, you know, finalize the two two governments or the two countries to finalize the details around what that agreement would actually include. The main one, um, which is actually uh, now in effect and has been, uh, was, came in effect as of 1st of July, is the increased uh, age limit. So we've we've seen an, an increase of five years. The um, age limitation for the 417 visa was uh, 30 years old and now we're, it includes applicants up to 35 years old. In addition to that, we've also um, confirmed that the specified work uh, requirement, otherwise known as farm work, requirements will no longer apply to the um, uh, second and third year uh, working holiday visa, which means that anyone uh, that applies from 1st July next year onwards 
uh, will be able to be granted the visa on the basis of being a UK um, passport holder without the need to complete that farm work. Obviously, this is a huge development now for Brits coming over. It means that um, they won't need to dedicate three months of their time every year that they want to enroll themselves on the working holiday visa. They can now just chill, they can work, they can live, they can do whatever they please. Are there still restrictions, though, for Brits coming over? I know there was a six-month limit on uh, how long you can work for an employer. Is that still enforced? Good question. So the six-month work limitation that applies to working holiday visas uh, still applies to um, Brits applying for the 417, um, which means that you're only permitted to work for six months with one employer. And then after the six months, you'll have to um, change employment to make sure that you comply with that condition. There are certain exemptions or ways around that. So um, it is important to make sure that you know, uh, anyone that is a holder of that visa or wishes to apply for that visa gets independent legal advice um, when the time uh, comes or as the need arises. Uh, but that requirement or that condition still applies. Um, in addition to that, the four-month study limitation on the working holiday visa also applies, which means that holders of a working holiday can only study for a period of up to four months at a time. Um, This isn't a four-month period um, that covers the entire um, three-year periods that the working holiday visa allows for. It applies on each working holiday visa uh, per year. There's a three-year cap, meaning that there's only up to three working holiday visas um, that can be granted to a, a single applicant. This doesn't include any visas that were affected by COVID, and this uh, effectively covers a um, a previous working holiday visa that they have to, let's say, abandon because they left the country during um, COVID or um, any other similar visas or that um, in under similar circumstances. In addition to that, um, there is also a restriction in terms of applying uh, using different passports. For for example, if someone has been granted a a working holiday visa using an Irish passport, they can't, uh, or that working holiday visa will still count towards the three-year cap. Um, You can't sort of double dip, if you like. Yeah, I know a few friends that have got three or four passports and they probably could have mm. loved to have 12 years on a working holiday visa, but that just wouldn't be. <laughs> that would just be so cheeky. I'd be so jealous if that happened. With all of this in mind, next July, what are we looking at in terms of the population of Brits coming over? Are we then expecting a spike in Brits to come over and stay here longer term? Um, that I definitely think that there will be an increase in uh, Brits coming over. I think the, the whole uh, purpose or the whole idea behind the agreement, the, the free trade agreement, was that it would um, encourage uh, Brits coming over to Australia and, and, and as well Australians going over to, to the UK. Um, I, we don't, we can't really predict the extent of what that spike, uh, or the, the increase of uh, Brits coming over is going to be, because I think um, from what we saw as well during um, the pandemic, there is a, to an extent a bit of hesitation as to how they might be supported during the time here and, you know, what the job prospects are going to be. So um, I we can't really know for sure what might happen, but um it's very likely that we will see uh, an increased um, British population in in Australia moving forward. 
Okay. And do you think that with these changes of the 417 visa, are we going to see almost uh, a snowball effect on other visas to change in the next coming years in relation to Brits being able to stay here longer? Do you think they there might be some limitations on gaining PR, for instance, or going on a student visa in order to extend their stay? Um, there, There's already uh, an additional sort of change that has come up as a result of the agreement, which is in relation to the um, TSS, the subclass 482 um, visa. So there, as part of that visa, there is a requirement for employers to advertise for the role um, that they're sponsoring the um, applicant for. Um, there's discussions with the department at the moment that um, Brits may be exempt from that requirement, but that hasn't been confirmed as yet. Um, if that happens, it just means that employers... Uh, in Australia, will be uh, able to sponsor uh, breeds a lot easier, uh, and the the process is going to be quite um, fast compared to what it is now. Um, other than that, there is a, an expectation that you know having the ability to stay in Australia and work um, in a particular field will give um, option or more options to um, breeds being being in the country uh, that are working. Um, we don't think that it will be viewed as a, um, a negative in a sense that, um, you know, being in the country on temporary visas might have an effect on other visas in the future. Um, at the same time, with um, any visa, any temporary visa that you're applying for, your immigration history is taken into consideration. So that, um, I guess, remains to be seen as to how the department will approach um, applicants that may have a bit more of a complicated um, visa history. Um, but, you know, in terms of permanent residency pathways, we know already that there is a discussion, um, not specifically targeted to breach, I guess, but in general, there is a focus on allowing more temporary visa holders to um, be able to stay in the country long term. With a potential population increase of tourists, Brits in general coming over to the country, is it going to make finding jobs more accessible or less accessible to people like me? Is it going to potentially push up prices for uh, finding places to rent? Is it just going to make the whole uh, cost of living situation a little bit more challenging? Good question. I think um, it's really hard to say without having a clearer view of what sort of um, increase we are, we may be looking at um, in terms of population increase. But um uh, I feel that unless the government is taking proactive um, and a proactive approach to ensure that there's, you know, infrastructure and other resources in place to allow um, anyone who is coming uh, over in the near future to uh, be supported, then we could potentially see a an increase in cost of living expenses and um, the job market may be affected as well. But of course, there are a lot of other factors that. Uh, play a part in this, you know, global, um, the, the global financial um, uh, environment uh, is a big factor there. Uh, and it really depends on as well uh, where the prospective, let's say, um, migrants may be located. Obviously, Melbourne and Sydney are more affected uh, by these uh, changes in population. Uh, more regional areas are less likely to be affected. That's just based on historical information um, and previous migration waves, if you like. For someone that's listening, 
that doesn't have an absolute clue about how to obtain a working holiday visa, when they need to apply for this agreement to go in place and where they need to go. Just a really simple overview of how they can get this visa when all of these agreements go into force. Could they do it now or do they need to wait a little bit longer? Um, for the the very first working holiday visa, anyone who is aged uh, between 18 to 35 can apply um, uh, from outside of the country. And the uh, the process is an online application that needs to be submitted through um, the Australian government's online visa system. As part of that application, there's um, you know documents that need to be provided, mostly identity documents that need to be provided in support. Um, and then if the department satisfied us to the um, requirements, then they will grant the visa unless there's you know issues that may come up as part of the application. Um, it is a, generally a straightforward process. The main um, uh, point to note is that for anyone that is looking to apply um, on the basis of not having to do the specified work for the second and third um, working holiday visa, they can only do so after uh, 1st of July next year. So um, if anyone wants to apply for the second working holiday visa now, um, from now until uh, July next year, uh, they will have to complete the specified work. So um the age uh, increase that has taken effect, the um, specified work requirement, this will take effect on the 1st of July next year. So all in all, this is pretty good news, right? It means that for Brits, we can now stay in Australia for a maximum of three years, travel and work, explore different career opportunities and choose a location that fits us best, our personality. Do we want more sunlight or do we want more coffee? It looks like I've gone for coffee this time round. But for Aussies, this also means that for the similar visa of a working holiday, you can now spend from a maximum of two years up to three years as well. So it's an equal playing field for the both of us. Let me pick up on our conversation with Professor Gabby Walters as we explain in detail why this is so beneficial of increasing that maximum age from 30 to 35, but also the other benefits and consequences that this will have on levels of tourism and working availability. Australians can do three years in the UK and then Brits can do uh, three years in Australia, which I kind of think is awesome. But I don't know whether you think, especially for the younger generation, well, up to 35 years old, is there going to be just a shift of Brits now in Australia and Australians now in the UK? And we'll have each each nationality now just doing a switch because we, we need the heat so much and Australians want to break from the heat and go to the UK. I don't know. My hunch is that we're not going to see as many Australians going to Britain as we will Britons coming to Australia, and there's a number of reasons for that. One is cost of living in the UK. The cost of going flying to the UK as well is double what it was pre-COVID. So I don't think we're going to see, um, uh, you know, a rush for Australians to go to go to the UK. We're not. It's not like we're not going to see any because traveling to the UK for Australians is a rite of passage, if you like. It's something that we do when we're young, before we settle down and get married, before we, um, if we do get married, before we settle into our careers. Um, it, it was almost like that rite of passage. But you'd go to the UK, you'd work, you'd live with twelve people in a share house you'd pay 80% of your salary on rent and, and you'd save what you can to go and explore the continent when you can. 
But in terms of Australia, there's a lot going for us in terms of attracting the UK market because of our cost of living, um, because of our climate, because of our beach, sun, sand and surf vibe that we have here in Australia, um, because of home and away, <laughs> the the laid back Aussie lifestyle really appeals to to people based in the UK. Um, and also our wages are a little bit more generous um, and our working conditions are possibly a little bit more flexible. So I think it's going to be a great thing for Australia, particularly because they've lifted that age to 35. We're seeing now um, people are getting married later in life. Um, we're not seeing so many people in their early to mid-20s settling down and having children. So people are sort of seeking that life experience later in life as opposed to getting it over and done with when they're, you know, between 18 and 25. Mm, yeah, and it's um, it was interesting to read actually when the visas changed and when um all of the articles were coming out about the changes that this will make to the older generation of Brits wanting to come over. Forty five percent of Brits between twenty five and thirty four regret that they never took a gap year in between school and university and after university going into a career and. I can completely agree because when I finished university, I did feel a bit lost. I felt a bit as if I was missing out on something and I wasn't quite ready to just go into career progressions. And even so, I wasn't really ready to know what I wanted to do full time. And I have in the back of my head, I want to progress with something, but what that is will take me time. But I'm it wasn't ready to suddenly commit and go straight into that. I needed that time and that space to travel. And I think this huge regret will be so much more prominent because of COVID, because we spent so much time in our houses and we we couldn't travel. And the biggest thing for me was I haven't left the UK in such a long time. If I'm going to travel now and get lost in a country somewhere, I might as well do it now before I find romantic partners or get into romantic relationships or even decide to buy a house if that's even an option or even just stay somewhere and settle for a while the the idea that it can be so sporadic and so I don't know what's around the corner for me is so much more um, appealing right now compared to maybe um, three four or five years time when I have a bit more stability maybe in my life so yeah, this means that this visa will open a lot of people. Uh, I think I've got 16 million more Brits will now have access to a working holiday visa for three years. Whether or not everybody takes this up, I think it'll be impossible for 16 million people to suddenly make that move over. But in that sense, it just it gives the option, right? Yeah, and I think you raised an important point there. I mean, when is the right time to do this? Um you know, you leave school and you're probably a little bit too young to go off travelling around the world because we're still only 17, 18 years old. Um, so then you're like, oh, but do I want to go straight to university? Maybe I want to work for a while. What do I do in that gap year? Um, and then that gap year, yeah, as I said, probably isn't the most optimal time to travel when you're still quite young. But then you go to university and then it's like, well, I've graduated. If I don't get a job now, maybe I won't get a job because when I go to get a job, I won't have any experience. And so it's, you know, my degree might become obsolete or or no use. So I think expanding the age to 35 um, and recognising that people are making those kind of choices later in life because they can. 
um, because they don't have that pressure to to kickstart their career and or you know um, settle down and, and have children or buy a house and get a mortgage or um, all of those decisions that we kind of made um, when we were quite young many years ago. Now our demographic is different, particularly the millennials. They're taking a lot more time, and so extending the age to 35 gives people a lot more flexibility they might have started their careers but then take a gap year in their career or they might decide that their career isn't for them they're going to do it um you know shift focus um try another sector perhaps go back to uni but in between time they've saved enough money to go traveling and exploring the world the fact that you don't have to work in the agriculture sector i mean this isn't probably good news for the agricultural sector because we rely heavily on our um working holiday makers and the farmers rely heavily on those. Funny you touch on that because a previous podcast episode that I did was with an immigration lawyer and it was related to the working holiday visa and we were just discussing about what uh, Brits need to do at that point before we knew about the changes, what they need to do in terms of the farm work, where they can obtain farm work. But it's difficult because as Brits come off of this farm work, he mentioned that Brits bring over so much revenue for for us in the regional states. And I don't know what your thoughts are for when this actually happens, what this is going to look like for these companies that rely on Brits being such a huge population that want to travel Australia. And now that they don't have to do the farm work, whether they're going to suffer from the lack of revenue or even just the lack of people being able to do this labour intensive work. The positive news on that front is as a result of COVID, our regional destinations have really advanced and they all of a sudden found themselves in tourism because Australians couldn't leave the country. So they started exploring their own backyard, right? So they started travelling to these regions and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, we've got tourists in our pub, we've got tourists in our cafe. And so the Australian government um, has recognised that the potential of our regional tourism areas so um, there was a lot of drive holidays, off-beaten track holidays. Um, people weren't that um, comfortable, you know, going to our city centres because of they just don't want to be in crowds and they wanted to be out in the open and the fresh air. And, and so our regional destinations um, have really emerged since COVID. So while you might not go there for, um, you know, farm work, there will be work in the tourism and hospitality sector outside of our major cities. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for, for going to the regions in that um, the rent's cheaper. So we've got, like, I was in the UK last week and listening to the radio or watching, you know, BBC News, they were having exactly the same conversations as we're having here in Australia <laughs> in terms of labour short, labour skills shortage, rental shortage, inflation, interest rates. It's exactly the same. So one issue that that um, our British travellers may face is it will be tough to find accommodation and it will be expensive to find accommodation. So being in a regional, um, being based in a regional location for, you know, six months or, or however long, is not going to be a bad thing. I think in my mind, I feel optimistic that these places that, yes, they rely on the farm work, it will just change the dynamic of the way that farm work is done. I think Brits will still do these kinds of jobs that people, uh, you know, that maybe me like specifically might not do, but others would because they want to do it just the fact 
that they're in Australia. Like they, you know, they're learning to become electricians or plumbers or go and do uh, labor intensive work, but the pay is just better. The same job that they would do in the UK, they, they're being able to do it in the sunshine. They're being able to do it with potentially more pay and they find better places to rent. They're right next to the beaches. It's, it's a win-win for both the companies that want to hire these people and for the people that want to come over. I think I was the same when I was thinking about where I would like to start working if I was going to travel and between London and the entirety of Australia, obviously it was easy enough for me to choose because of the cost of living. Do you think that uh, tourism companies, maybe tour buses, this could be anything in tourism and hospitality will now um, increase in revenue? Do you think there'll be more popularity to go to these destinations? Or do you think that this might have a somewhat negative impact in the sense of it's going to be so busy that these companies won't be able to keep up with the, um, I guess, the popularity of wanting to go to these places, or maybe even to the sense that hopefully, even with more people coming over, that they would at least respect these places. Because we're getting to a place now in Australia where we want to respect indigenous communities going to places that hold indigenous history, especially like Uluru and Alice Springs, where um, going to these places is such an incredible experience, but you don't want the wrong people to go there and disrespect those areas. But we don't know that or tourists don't know that if they haven't got that education. Yeah, it's a good point. And also Byron Bay is a contentious destination in that it's where everybody wants mm-hmm. to end up. But it's only a very small town. It only has so much capacity. Um, so uh, the community there is, is it's interesting. I mean, the, the community there relies on tourism, but at the same time uh, it, it has a love-hate relationship with tourism. They feel like they're constantly being invaded, but then if it wasn't for tourism, that town wouldn't be as prosperous as it is. And it wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be paying five million dollars for a for a four bedroom unit. So I think, I think those destinations, um, it you know, it's not the responsibility of the traveller; it's the responsibility of the destination. And this all comes through um, marketing. You know, getting those marketing messages out there and. Um, communicating the importance of cultural integrity and respecting um, the land and and the indigenous own you know traditional owners of the land and educating people about what's acceptable and what's not. But it's also about managing their carrying capacity and um, not over marketing the destination and just ensuring that when people are there that they're behaving respectfully respecting the local communities, whether they're Indigenous or whether they're residents. And so I think um, that's not, you know, travellers want to go where travellers want to go. It's, it's it's not their responsibility to say, oh, I shouldn't go there because there's too many tourists. It's really a destination management problem. So this is it. If you've always wanted to come to Australia, but maybe you've settled down into a job and progressed with it for this amount of time and you've never felt that you could travel, maybe you never took a gap year, Well, if you're listening to this and you need a sign, this is your sign. Whatever age you are, there is never a limit to when and where you should travel. This is always an option for you, no matter what. And I'm so grateful that Australia and the UK is now making it easier for the both countries to travel interchangeably. 
But just like every country you could potentially travel to, there will always be some level of issue. And if for Australia, the population increases and we find it more difficult to find rental opportunities, food shopping, etc., then this is something that the government will help you deal with. You won't be alone in this. Remember, if you are traveling to certain destinations as well, respect the land, respect the communities that reside there and educate yourself. The indigenous history is so rich in Australia and you will have a whale of a time learning about everything in this country. There is more to it than you may think. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you found it insightful and you've gained enough information to decide on whether Down Under is really for you. And yes, it is, 100%. Remember that the maximum age from 30 to 35 has already been enforced. So from the 1st of July, 2023, if you are older than 30, the working holiday visa is still an option for you right now. So head on over to the government website to find out more information. But if you are wanting to come to Australia and not do the farm work, you may just need to hold off a little bit longer until the 1st of July, 2024. It's not that far away. I want to thank one last time my guests today, Zephy and Ali from Ethos Migration Lawyers and Associate Professor Gabby Walters from the University of Queensland. Remember that this whole season is sponsored by Go Study. And if you are wanting to extend your visa, but maybe you want to study and gain some skills whilst you're traveling, well, this might be the option for you. If you are interested and even want to study here in Australia, but you don't know where to start, then head on over to downunderdiariespodcast.com and click on the pop-up window that takes you to the Go Study website. It helps me and it helps Go Study as well. Happy studying. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week. Happy traveling. Yay! So just a little disclaimer for our discussion. Um, Although we do take the utmost care to provide accurate and up-to-date information and advice, please note that all information, views and thoughts are general in nature and should not be used as legal advice. Given the rapidly changing landscape of immigration law, we definitely encourage listeners to seek independent legal advice tailored to their individual circumstances. Slay. (laughs) 